Hi, everyone. My sweet lovelies. Welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricci. I want to thank you for hanging out with me today. And if you are new to this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. And I want to give a shout out to my sweet, lovely gals. There are some of you that have been so instrumental in changing other women's lives. You have made recommendations to women that some of them are now my clients, that you made recommendations for them to listen to this podcast. I've had emails from people saying that this podcast helped them to figure out what was going on with their health challenges. They were able to explore the root causes, and some of those women have started working with me. So I want to thank every one of you for sharing this podcast with other people. And many of you, if you would like to find out more about me, maybe you'd like to work with me one-on-one, do a program, you can go to MegRichichi.com. Actually, you can find episodes of my podcast there and um, find different ways. My website is very user-friendly to see if we are a good fit for one another. So again, I want to thank everyone for joining me today. This podcast series is about demystifying women's hormonal issues and struggles and all the little things that dance in between. And for so many women, there are so many things that dance in between. And I've had another woman, a woman say to me last week, Meg, I've had so many shitty symptoms that I have described to seven different doctors. You are the first person to listen and thread together my symptoms just in a discovery call. And that's what we do. People like myself and my next guest, we look for the root causes of why someone is experiencing the symptoms that they have, why women are experiencing or feeling unwell without getting a clear diagnosis. I had a client the other week. Oh, my God, I couldn't believe it. Well, I can because it happens all the time. She has had aches and pain and fatigue, and gastrointestinal issues. And she had been to six different doctors, and they said, hey, Susie, I can't find anything wrong with you. Nothing's showing up in the blood test. Maybe you have depression. And I lost it. And I said, screw depression. What you have going on is mold toxicity and parasitic activity, and we're, we're doing a whole slew of test. We get to the root cause and causes of what is going on with women. I love what I do because this show is about revealing, sharing great ways for you to take control of your hormones and for you to take control of not just your hormones, but your sweet, precious heart, your body, your mind, and your soul. And I feel so honored to help so many of you on this journey over the past few years. So what is leading up to today's podcast is a little story. And the title of today's podcast what you need to know about breast implant illness. And my next guest is Sarah Felipe. About three years ago, almost to this day, in March of 2020, and I think many of us are familiar with March of 2020, that's when the country went into lockdown. And I was supposed to have an episode on breast implant illness. And at that time, I lived in Charleston, and I would go to my producer's house, and we'd record the podcast. Well, we weren't able to do that. And the woman that I was supposed to have as a guest, she moved and things changed in life. And actually, at that time, I closed my shop and I was no longer brick and mortar and and have gone virtual. And also, I have the lovely 
pleasure of being able to record podcast in the comfort of my own studio, which is my home, my office. And I had decided that once I would have, I, I've always wanted to do a podcast on breast implant illness, but I wanted this episode to include a practitioner and her journey. And I was very fortunate and blessed because a few weeks ago, I was on a Zoom call with a group of practitioners, and there was a woman in the Zoom session that I didn't recognize. So I kind of did my uh, Zoom stalking, and I Googled her on the call, and I just went, oh my God, this woman is a breast implant illness expert. And I continued to read about her, and I said, I just so want to talk to her. So I texted her in the chat box, and I said, please, let's have a conversation. And we spoke a few days after that. And that could have been the podcast. It was a wonderful conversation with Sarah. Sarah is an extraordinary practitioner. She walked away from her conventional nursing career as an RN to be a certified functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. She is a breast implant illness expert, and she's a detox expert. You have to be a detox expert to do this work. And she believes that the, the solution to reversing breast implant illness is much more than the explant. That is the removal of the breast implants. It's also about women, these women, taking personal responsibility for restoring their health by addressing the root causes contributing to their breast implant illness that includes toxicity, infection, trauma, and shame. Sarah uses her personal experience along with her understanding about the body, to guide women through the sea of misinformation, so much misinformation, about breast implant illness in hopes of helping women find their path to true and lasting healing. Over 300,000 women in the United States each year get breast implants, and one out of four women will go through the horrors of breast implant illness. I take a little pause on this because it is a huge problem. I've had many women come into my practice with breast implant illness, and it was very apparent. They knew about it, and it was a very difficult decision of whether or not they would have them removed. And I've actually had clients not come back and see me after we had a session together. So, Sarah... Please welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone, and I can't wait to have this conversation with you. Here you are, my love. Thanks. So let's start the conversation about breast implant illness and start wherever you want to go. Well, thank you so much for that lovely introduction and for having me on your show. I, I'm just so blessed to be sharing this information with your audience and whoever needs to hear it. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is really all about right, is helping people to understand why they feel the way they feel and to realize that there is a solution. You know, there is a path to healing. So, you know, where do I start? You know, I think the obvious easiest place to start is with my own story and journey. Yeah. And so I'll just share a little bit about that. And as Meg said, you know, I worked as a nurse in a teaching, large teaching hospital for many years. And, you know, I had always had a body image issue, a self-worth issue. And I think that really started back in childhood when I realized through, you know, just learning about the world around me and making meaning out of it, 
um, I learned, you know, what it meant to be a woman, what it meant to be a, a quote unquote real woman, right? Um, and that part of that was looking a certain way, you know, having a certain figure and large breasts were a part of that. And the reason I came to understand that, and this isn't to put blame on anyone, this mm-hmm. is really just to help with the understanding of how I got here. And maybe it'll help you under, you know, start to think about how you might have gotten here. This was something that I really thought a lot about very deeply as I was processing everything that was happening in my body and how I got there. And so, you know, when I was young, maybe 10 or so, someone very important to me said, you know, you're just kind of in a little bit of a teasing way. You're going to be four foot 11, just like me, but don't worry because you're going to have the Johnson boobs. And that to me really set the stage for you know, how my self-worth and image, self-image developed. And, you know, it was that point that I really realized how important breasts really are in, in our society, whether we want to acknowledge that and give that life or not, it's a reality. Right. And so my whole life going through my whole life beyond that point, I now knew breasts were really important and that is what you needed to be valuable, worthy, sexy, desirable, you know, all of that beautiful. And I didn't ever develop the Johnson boobs. And so I stuffed my bra when I was in middle school. I always tried to make myself look bigger than I was to try to fill that void of what I thought I needed. And, you know, I wasn't fooling anyone because it was fairly obvious. I think people around me knew, but you know, I just ignored it and did my thing. And fast forward to many, many years later, I ended up becoming really, I would say maybe, maybe obsessed would be a good word with fitness and bodybuilding and just really, really focused on my physical appearance and wanting to be in the best shape of my life. I was around 30 years old. And part of that, when I got really lean as a part of those endeavors was realizing that I really didn't have hardly any breast tissue when I was that lean. Of course, you're going to lose a lot of that. I didn't have a lot to begin with. And I felt even more self-conscious. And I thought, you know what, this is the time I've always wanted this for as long as I can remember, I've always wanted larger breasts. And I thought that was going to make me feel good about who I am, good Mm -hmm. about myself, feel like I have worth and value and I'm beautiful. Right. And so I ended up getting breast implants and For me, you know, it wasn't a love at first sight kind of a situation. It didn't fill that void. It didn't make me feel a certain way about myself. It was actually quite hard to adjust to. No one told me that I might feel this way, but I had a hard time looking at myself and accepting that decision that I made, you know, because when I'm Mm. looking in the mirror, it was no longer the body that I was used to looking at for, you know, the first 20 years of my life with, or 15 at least with breasts, right? (laughs) (laughs) And so it was a very different image I was seeing in the mirror and it really didn't, it was a disconnect and Mm. it took me some time. It took a few months for me to grow, to accept them and be okay with that decision. And, and I did grow to love them. And that was part of what made it challenging to decide to explant and what took me so long to decide to Mm. explant. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I got to that point. And then within six months, I started developing all kinds of symptoms. You know, at first I thought it might be 
low thyroid function because I was having hair loss and fatigue and brain fog and dry skin and cold all the time. I would sleep with a heating pad or a hot pack at night because I would just freeze. Mm. And so, you know, I went to conventional medical doctor at the place that the, you know, hospital that I worked at ran lab work, everything looked quote unquote normal. And he said to me exactly what you had said in your introduction that maybe you should seek therapy. Maybe you need to spice up your sex life if you don't have a sex drive right now, you know, and totally dismissing. You told me that when we were (laughs) chatting and I just, I had this visceral sensation. I just wanted to clock that doc. I hear this all the time. It's terrible. Anyway, yeah. go on. I'm, it's yeah. the Italian in me. And no, yeah. I don't hit people, but it's just like. No, I hear you. And it was just so unvalidating and mm-hmm. really made me feel like I was crazy. Like I was just making yeah. all this up, you know? And so I mm-hmm. wasn't happy with that answer. And I continued pushing and digging and looking for someone who could help me. And I ended up finding someone who helped and, you know, it was more of a medical approach. You know, it was allopathy from more of a natural because she was a naturopathic doctor. So I had a prescription for my thyroid now and a bunch of supplements to help support my body. But it was never really an approach that was digging for the underlying cause. Mm -hmm. Right. So I ended up, you know doing more, finding, looking for more, looking for more help, looking for more options, looking for more answers. And I discovered functional diagnostic nutrition through a podcast, actually. (laughs) Thank God for podcasts. So I do have a question. How long were you on this journey before you discovered this functional diagnostic nutrition? It was probably a couple of maybe a year and a half to two years. And this mm-hmm. is after a whole slew of symptoms developed, right? So uh, let me just backtrack a little bit. I'll tell you yeah, what, what I was experiencing. Yeah. So I talked about, you know, the Hashimoto's hypothyroid types of symptoms. I was diagnosed mm-hmm. with Hashimoto's, which is, you know, fairly close to in remission at this point. It's just so low. It's minuscule. Mm-hmm. But I was freezing all the time. I was, I couldn't sleep. I had insomnia. Every time I thought I was about to fall asleep, I would get jolted awake. Like my nervous system was just triggering me left and right. Mm -hmm. I had anxiety. I couldn't be out in social gatherings with a lot of people because crowds and noises and lights and smells really irritated my nervous system. I could no longer tolerate my workouts because, again, too much stress on my nervous system. I would have to take a break for a good five minutes in between one set of a workout and like totally have peace and quiet, totally have silence. I couldn't work out with other people because the sounds of other people were too stimulating to my nervous system. I had brain fog. I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't remember words that I had read two seconds ago. I couldn't remember names of people or places or things. And it was, you know, really evident when I was, you know, if I were ever in a really heated conversation where emotion was involved, that stress would tip me to the point where I couldn't even get a sentence out to save Mm. my life. I mean, it was just all that overwhelming stress on my body. I had hormone imbalances. I had weight gain. I had cystic acne. I had irritable bowel. I had gas and bloating and loose stool and constipation and thin stools that were coming out abnormally. I had all kinds of food intolerances. You name it, I was reactive to everything. And Sarah, prior to this, how was your health? I had no symptoms. You had no symptoms. You were in great health. 
Well, I wouldn't say I was in great health. I mean, I had a poor lifestyle and diet, but I didn't have any symptoms to speak of. Okay. Did you have any gut? I mean, do you, you know, because I think one of the things I'm, I'm just trying to figure out on my own is, do you feel that many women or some women that have breast implant illness, they had some pre-existing things going on and that the, the, the breast implants was a tipping point or just, Mm -hmm. or maybe not. I mean, I'm, I'm really curious to know. Yeah. You know, I think about it in a couple of ways. I think about chronic illness in general, regardless of what type of chronic illness you're Mm -hmm. speaking about that, you know, it's usually the underlying causes. It's usually about more than one thing, right? Right. It's usually a multifactorial kind of situation. And so the way I think about breast implant illness depending on, you know, when the onset of symptoms occurred, what was going on before and after that mm. that type of picture. I'm looking at, I'm thinking about this, you know, logically, stepwise, you know, and this is kind of what I see, either a couple of different scenarios here. Either one, someone has dealt with a lot of stressors early in life, you know, maybe right. in childhood, maybe even at, in utero or at yeah. birth, right? Yeah. Lots of different stressors. Maybe they had amalgams placed in their mouth. Maybe they've had a car accident or a divorce or loss of a loved one or sexual trauma or emotional trauma or, you know, whatever it may be. And that's all filling the stress bucket. And then maybe this implants are the tipping point, the trigger, the straw that broke the camel's back, whatever it may be, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And that point, maybe they didn't have any symptoms before that. And this became the trigger. So everything else up to that point has set the stage for the eventual fall. Yeah. And in some cases, the implants are the trigger. And that's kind of how I see my own story. My mm-hmm. own journey mm-hmm. is that I had no symptoms to speak of prior to that, but I had a lot of stressors okay. and the implants were the that tipping was a point. Tipping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's the other way around where, you know, maybe someone doesn't have a lot of stressors and, you know, they get implants and they're fine for a year, years or decades. And then all of a sudden they develop symptoms and they don't even think about it relative to their implants because they're so far They're so disconnected in the timeline. But to me, it really doesn't matter what came first, the breast implants or the symptoms or the illness. They're a part of the inflammatory picture and they should be considered to be removed. Yeah. Yeah. And they Mm -hmm. rupture and they develop (laughs) mold. And I I, I don't want to jump. I want to hear your story, but I would love to. Because as you said, somebody may years later develop issues. That's because they're starting to leak. Mm-hmm. And there's systemic uh, mm-hmm. a s- storm of wild things happen. I mean, I've I've heard stories, I've seen the explants yeah. from people, and but so please yes. continue. Yeah. So when I found functional diagnostic nutrition, I decided I was already a nurse. I was already a practitioner, and mm-hmm. I decided I'm going to go through this training program to become a practitioner rather than a client because there has to be more people going through what I'm going through. I can't be the only one. Maybe this is something I can help with given that Mm -hmm. I'm going through it myself. And um, so I did go through that. I had a mentor, you know, alongside me going through the program who was a point person. And I asked him, you know, point blank, do you think my implants could be creating problems for me or could be a blocking factor in my healing? And he said, yes, absolutely. I don't know a lot about implants, but if it were me or if it were my wife, I would want you to get those out ASAP Mm -hmm. because they absolutely could, as a foreign body, be impacting you in a negative way. And there was no information about breast implant illness at that time. So keep that in mind, too. This is just purely 
instinct. And I did have that instinct initially, even before I asked that question. I was Google searching, you know, symptoms developing after breast augmentation, and I found nothing. There might have been one person on realself.com who was, you know, discussing mm-hmm. this topic, but not calling it anything and not really, there wasn't really a long thread about this. It was just a couple of comments, which wasn't yeah. enough for me to go off of. And, you know, I had worked with another doctor who specialized in Lyme and mold and that kind of a thing later on, who I also asked this question too. And he is a very well-known Mm-hmm. doctor in the holistic health space. And he didn't say the same thing. He said, you know, I don't think it's your implants. I think if we deal with the Lyme, if we deal with the oh, other wow. things, that the implants won't be a problem. So I was holding on to that because he said that to me. Can I right? ask what year that was, by the way? Oh, I don't know. It, it probably was maybe three years, three and a half years, maybe after I had them placed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I know I had the video, if you saw my face, I would, I, I mean, <laughs> yes, I've been aware that breast implants because yeah, I have a family member that has breast implants and this person mm. is having a lot of health issues. It's very difficult to sometimes say to someone, have you considered removing them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, or, and to take that in. So that must, how did you feel when that, when this doc said that to you? Was it, re, it was like, oh good, I don't have to consider this right now. I mean, I was still hesitant in mm-hmm. accepting it, but I also mm-hmm. was like really happy to hear him say that yeah. because obviously yeah. I didn't want to have to have them removed, of but course. I had this kind of instinct about it. And at some point in this process, I don't remember when it was, I came across an interview that Dr. Mercola did with Dr. Kolb Mm-hmm. on the topic. And it was my first exposure to the term breast implant illness. And I got her book. I didn't read every word. I skimmed the most important parts and I thought I need to get these out. And I actually reached out to her office. I oh, wow. talked with someone about this whole you know, topic and then mm-hmm. ultimately just pulled back. And I don't remember why, but I thought, you know, my general thought process during this time was I'm going to do everything I can to restore my health. And as a last resort, if I need to, if I can't get there, I'll have the implants out. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Uh, and why was that? It's because I never dealt with the root cause of why I got them in the first place. That's a really, really good point you just made. Mm -hmm. Wow. (laughs) Why did you get them in the first place? Yeah. Well, it's because I thought I needed them. No, I'm not posing. Yeah. yeah. No, that I love that you said that. That is important. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't my husband. You know, I was married at the time when I got them. He he didn't actually want me to get them. He Mm -hmm. tried to encourage me to just love myself for how I was created. And I wasn't I wasn't willing to do that. (laughs) Well, you know, it's really it's interesting because I had such horrible body image issues in my teens and my 20s and probably still recovering in my 30s because I had an eating disorder. But I was totally, it's really funny. I was totally fine. I have small breasts. I Mm. used to tease people, say, oh, some people have a B and a C. I have a Dixie cup. So, (laughs) but I was totally comfortable with my breasts. Yeah. And it's funny how we fixate on certain things as women that are really going to, we think will make us feel better. If I lose weight, then I'll be happier. If I get breast implants, if I get a facelift, if, 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 
And this is, mm-hmm. this is a really good point that you make. How, as women, can we feel comfortable with who we are and know that that is enough? Wow, I'm yeah. so glad you brought that up. That is really profound. Yeah, Continue absolutely. Love. Yeah. And now, these days, I mean, we have social media that's just on oh, fire Jesus. with promoting, you know, everything that a woman should look like, oh. right? And that's creating body image trends, which is insane. Well, it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's the Kardashian syndrome. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, and our poor young kids out there now being spo- exposed to all of this. I didn't have all yeah. that exposure when I was young and growing up, and I can't even imagine if I had how much worse off I'd be, you know? Yeah. So going through all of this work, you know, discovering things like Hashimoto's, SIBO, um, Lyme, parasite issues, fungal overgrowth, you know, things like that. Discovering those things, right. And what I thought were root causes, I mean, some of them were, some of them weren't. You know, I did what I needed to do. I, I followed a very strict regimen. I did, I changed everything about my life and my diet. Mm-hmm. And I worked on healing and I got about 50% better. Right. And that wasn't enough for me. I also yeah. felt like a bit of a fraud given that I'm in, I was a holist, now a holistic health practitioner and I had these fake implants in my body. And I know there are a lot of others out there who are in this space who also have implants and also yeah. do things like Botox and, you mm-hmm. know, fillers and things like that. And this isn't said to make anyone feel guilty or badly about doing those things, right? We all are in a different place and that's okay, right? And what my intention is, is just to to express how deeply rooted this issue is and can be for people. And for me, I felt like I didn't feel like my authentic self. And in addition to that, you know, we started, my husband and I started trying to conceive a child and we had been trying for a couple of years without any success. And I was struggling and I had a hunch that I had endometriosis based on symptoms and I just didn't have any proof. And the only way to prove it from what my midwife had told me is that I need to have a laparoscopy because they're usually not going to see it on imaging. I wasn't willing to do it at that time. So, you know, fast forward, I ended up finding an endometriosis specialist in Portland, Oregon. I sought him out from the Dr. Redwine, who is the pioneer of excision surgery. He had been trained under Dr. Redwine. So I knew that was my guy. I wanted to go to him. So I went to him. He had me do an MRI. And it was so advanced at that point that he was able to see it mm. on MRI. Oh, wow. oh, my gosh. And even on ultrasound, he did a transvaginal ultrasound, was able to see all the endometriomas. And I had a left fallopian tube that was very affected by the endometriosis. My ovaries were affected. My colon was affected. I had to have a bowel resection as a part of that procedure. I had my vaginal wall was affected as well. I had to have a vaginal wall resection. So it was a very invasive procedure, which I actually didn't do. I'm fast forwarding a little bit. I didn't do till after my explant, but just kind of to set the stage and help you understand where the fertility struggles came from. So much inflammation in my pelvis, right? I mean, I was never going to conceive with all that inflammation. Yeah. And so I really got down to, okay, you know, thinking about my fertility and if I'm struggling with all these health issues and I got, what, let's say I were to get pregnant, you know, 
how would that affect a child growing inside yeah. of me or a breastfeeding yeah. child, you know? And I've worked with women who unfortunately have children who have suffered health issues as a result of having had breast implants while pregnant and breastfeeding. Yeah. And that's also not to like make anyone feel bad. When we know better, we do better, right? Yeah. And so in my own story, just thinking about that logically is what really was the turning point for me and helped mm-hmm. me get to the point of making that decision for myself and for my future and my family. So once I got there in my mind and in my heart, it was a quick decision I explanted within about three months. So, you know, after my explant, it wasn't like this, you know, quick healing process. It was a long road, you know. Six months later, I had my excision surgery for endometriosis. That was another like six-month healing process. And then during this whole time and beyond, I was doing a lot of work on myself, a lot of parasite work, a lot of detox work, a lot of mindset work, a lot of emotional work, really digging into the underlying cause of why I got them in the first place and working through that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it looks different from for for every person. Each the right. part, you know, all of this journey, this whole journey and the path that you take is gonna take twists and turns and you're gonna navigate it a little differently. It's just gonna look different for every person, right? Because we're all unique individuals and we all have different a variety of different types of stressors in our lives. And all of those things need to be considered. And so that's really what I worked on is taking stock of my life. And working on peeling back those layers of the onion. Mm -hmm. So, Sarah, did you have endometriosis at all prior? Oh, yeah. Okay. Prior, no, not that that I know of. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I had no no pain or discomfort or any, you know, period problems of any kind. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, can I, uh, this is an interesting question. From this journey, through this journey, as, as you continue, what are the, what are, two to three gifts that you received in this on this path of healing? Yeah, I would say, first of all, getting to a place where I know really, truly who I am mm. and what makes me worthy and beautiful and, you know, my purpose yeah. and being able to see a greater purpose in my life through the struggle, through the pain, being able to use that for good, that's been an amazing journey. And just discovering who I am outside of, you know, deeper than my physical appearance, deeper than surface level, which is really what I focused on before. So that has been, that's an ongoing journey, right? That's never over. (laughs) We're always growing and learning and developing into better humans. I think anywhere on this journey of life and the, the healing journey, and I mean, mine, I think all of us, it goes on for decades. There's always a gem somewhere yeah. along the way. When you hit yeah. the wall, you hit an obstacle. I mean, mine, I even just said to you prior to the recording, I mean, I'm clearing mold and, and parasites, and I was having this funny odor in my apartment, and it smelled really medicinal, and it was weird, and I couldn't figure it out. And then I started having symptoms, like my feet were itchy. And I was like, why mm. am I feeling like I have this fungal thing going on? Mm. And I found on my kitchen counter, I have a beautiful ceramic bowl, and I went to get my grapefruit, and I turned it over, and it was oozing green mold. And I went, Ooh. oh, my God. God <sighs> only knows. Probably there for about two weeks because I didn't eat uh-huh. it. And that was just permeating the kitchen. So, yeah. yeah. 
And, but the point is, there is always something along the way, and you figure out how to address it. And the beauty is also, because you've had this journey, and as you continue, you're able to hold the space for other women that are going through this process because you get it. Oh, absolutely. Yes, you know, you, absolutely. You get, you get that their brain is on fire, their body is on fire, and because of these implants. So when you had them removed, was there mm-hmm. any seepage, leakage? Did they find mold? I mean, they were clean. No, they were, I have them over here in my closet. They're perfectly intact. Uh-huh. No oozing, no leaking, no ruptures. They look the, the same as they the day they went in. So were they silicone or saline? They were silicone. Yeah, the cohesive gel. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and these are like the second generation, or I don't even know which generation they are. (laughs) Maybe it's the third generation. But basically, they're the new and improved silicone implants, right? Where they're no longer liquid, they're cohesive, meaning that if you have a rupture, and this is what they tell you, if you have a rupture, it's okay, it's safe, because it's not going anywhere. It's going to stay in the capsule. It's cohesive to itself. And that's simply just not the case. No, it's not. And you think about like heating up, you, you we've learned yes. to not heat plastic, right? For a good reason, because it leaches into our food and water yeah. and whatever we're using yes. and, and I was gonna consuming, bring yeah. right? But what, when you heat up these things that are essentially like plastic to body temperature, they've never really been tested at body temperature and not for very long anyway, for maybe a three month period, but they haven't been tested right. long term. And what happens is it increases the rate at which they bleed out into the body. We call that gel bleed. And Mm -hmm. there's so much dense lymphatic tissue around the breast area that, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, that capsule that forms around the implants as a protective mechanism because it's a foreign body and it knows that they don't belong there. That's your immune system trying to help you. It's not perfect. It's when it's analyzed under a microscope, it's more lace-like. So it has holes and it's permeable. And so is the shell of the implants, both silicone and saline. They have a semi-permeable shell. Things can leak out, get right into the lymphatic system and travel throughout the body. So, you you know, the the new implants are actually more harmful than the old ones. Wow. Yeah. And and that's also an interesting thing to, to, to see with clients is that really common theme is I was fine. I had saline implants or I had the old silicone implants, and I was fine until I had them replaced with the new gummy bear, quote unquote, implants. Are these the ones that have the texture too? There's a texturized one, and they say those are the ones that that cause a lot of problems. I wish I could remember the the name. I didn't have textured. I had smooth, but there are textured implants out there. Usually, not always, but usually they're used in uh, mastectomy reconstruction cases to help with adherence to the tissue and keeping them in place and looking nice. And yeah, there's a whole additional set of complications associated with those, but it's also been shown that it's not just a texture issue that it, the same issue can develop from other implants. It's just it's less common. It's more of a rarity to see that. And so the complications you could see with that is breast implant, well, breast implant associated ALCL, which is a cancer I was just of gonna, the That's what I was just going to bring yeah. up, the, the, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yep. Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> yeah. And so there's not really, and, and there could be, you know, science that has come out that's new that I haven't seen yet. But since I've done my own research, mm-hmm. 
there really isn't a good way to test unless you're going to have them out. And at that point, they can test the fluid for certain markers of that cancer. And there is some evidence, visual evidence, that it could be an issue that they would only see if they were doing an explant procedure. So how long have you been working with women in that are dealing with breast implant illness? How many years have you been? It's been about five years. Okay. Yeah. Are the numbers rising? I don't know if the numbers are rising or just the number of people. People awareness. Who are aware is rising, is rising a lot. Yes. Yes. It's becoming a lot more mainstream knowledge. You know, when I was going through it, if I had had this much knowledge, this much information to digest and consume, I probably, I mean, maybe I would have made a decision sooner. You know, it was so difficult trying to make a decision about this just based on intuition. Now is a different story. Now I've learned to trust my intuition. And sometimes you have to go through something hard to learn that. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are you seeing? So after women, you know, a lot of women, they, I've had women that they've had the breast implants removed. They haven't done anything afterwards. What are Mm -hmm. the residual things that you see that are very important to clear that could linger for years? I mean, those are toxins that that get lodged also in the fatty tissue that have to be detoxed, right? Yeah. And silicone is lipophilic, right? It loves the fatty tissue and, you know, it gets sticky and it gets stuck in the lymph. It gets stuck in different organs and, and tissues. And, you know, it's not easy to get out. And we're not even really sure that at this time we have enough evidence to say that we can get it out. You know, I think well, that I, <laughs> I think no. that the most efficacious way that we have so far is through sweating, you know, the, the infrared sauna, sweating it out because you're, when you're sweating, when you're using an infrared sauna, you're heating up the body right? And that kind of thins anything that's kind of sticky, mm-hmm. like like silicone. You're moving the lymph and you're able to kind of sweat, right? And so the hope is that you can sweat some of this out and that if it's thinned and more mobile, that it can move through the lymph and be you know, eliminated through the detox pathways. Yeah. I have a friend of mine who just had her breast implants removed in the past few months and she's a practitioner. Mm-hmm. And she also got lymphatic massage, Mm, And she sent me a photo. She said, Meg, I passed a piece of silicone and it was in her stool. Yeah. It was from the wall. And I went, whoa, because your lymphatic drainage goes into the bowels. So, yes, I'm a big big fan of infrared. I'm I'm doing infrared to help release mold. And I think infrared is amazing. But I've had, I've known women... Like my friend that that had her breast implants removed, she was doing infrared saunas prior. She didn't oh. realize that that was, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Any, anyone that has breast implants right now, questioning whether or not to have them removed, I would very much encourage you not to be doing infrared saunas. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I think it's case by case. When I had implants, I also used an infrared sauna. I didn't have any adverse effect from it. I actually felt just fine. Not everyone feels that way, though. Some people yeah, feel well. deathly ill when they have implants and they use a sauna. So I think it really needs to be case by case. But also thinking about, like, if you feel better when using the sauna, what is that a sign of, you know, and thinking I, about yeah. those things. I think to me, it's almost equivalent to if you're living in a house that is filled with mold and you're taking all these things to help you yeah. detox, 
you can't drain the tub. You've got to get rid of the source. And yeah. I I just feel from my experience, I would, I mean, I'm, I don't want to harp on this. I would think about it. You're heating up those implants. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. It's like trying to empty the bathtub with the water still running. Right. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Some people so, do that. So things that I see, you know, yeah. and things that I focus on with people are obviously drainage pathways, mm-hmm. right? Because our drainage pathways are usually the most compromised, especially yeah. given the fact that we've been exposed to silicone for who mm-hmm. knows how long. And the fact that that can make its way through the body, that can really gum up the the, the detox, the drainage pathways. So, you know, focusing on making sure the bowels are moving two to three times a day, um, making sure you're supporting the liver, the kidneys, the gallbladder. Yeah, all those. The microbiome. Yeah. yeah, the lymph, the the cells, even the mitochondria. Yeah. And then, you know, supporting biochemical detox pathways. Just I wouldn't just go crazy with that because you really need to know kind of where your weaknesses are. And that requires doing a bit of investigation with regard to genetics. And, you know, your genetics, of course, don't define your destiny, but... Mm-hmm knowing like which forms of certain things you would tolerate better is helpful, right? So supporting that is really helpful for people. And then generally speaking, people feel so much better just opening up the drainage pathways. Yeah. And opening up drainage (laughs) pathways. And I've discussed this in a couple of podcasts ago. I had Dr. Stuart Hoover, who I was conversing with a few hours ago, fulvic and humic acid. Mm-hmm. are so important in helping the body and supporting mitochondrial function. And anytime in detoxification, I say to people that, that the mitochondria is such an incredible marker for detoxification. So is, is the gut. So being mm-hmm. able to support that process, because you and I know, I've, I've had people come in with like 50,000 or now virtually showing me all these supplements. And I'm like, but you can't even handle this. And just mm-hmm. start, starting with opening up the drains in the pool, right? Yeah. So the so the pool can clear out gently. But yeah, yeah. and you and I, uh, we do similar things. So it's so great to hear that. that and, and people must see a profound difference just in a matter of weeks to a few months, yeah. right? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that's really important the difference in how they feel post-explant versus mm-hmm. when they start doing some of this work because, mm-hmm. you know, there are those people who have this miraculous healing story to share, you know, on yeah. social media. And that's really what you see mostly. You don't yeah. see the stories like mine or like a lot of the women that I work with who explanted and they're still not better, right? right? They might be a little bit better or maybe they got a lot better and then within a few months there was a huge return of symptoms. And or maybe even a year or two, to, two years down the road. Are these women that had the breast implants removed and did nothing? They Correct. didn't work. And that's important to preface. So women that yeah. you have found, and I've found in my experience too, if you do proper detoxification and drainage and everything we say, they're going to see improvement. Mm-hmm. It's almost equivalent to when I get patients or clients that have celiac and they're like, well, I'm not eating gluten but your the lining of your gut that's equivalent to like going into a house that's been on fire and mm-hmm. everything has just smoldered and now mm-hmm. you have to resheet rock and rebuild the house you have to go down to the studs and that's what yeah. you do when you're you're looking at the drainage so you're yeah. just to preface you see great change with women that follow your protocol 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not always easy, right? Like the healing process can be really rocky. It can be a lot of ups and downs, peeling back the layers of the onion. And some people, they go through the drainage work and they're like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. And then I take them through the next step and they're like, whoa, wait a second. I feel a lot worse again. What's happening here? And, you know, that's where we just have to really personalize things and meet people where their bodies are at. Meeting, yeah, it's actually, I love that. It's meeting the body, it's the person, it's what is it that your body can handle. I've had some people recently that have a layering of mold toxicity and SIBO and all this stuff. I've had to be so gentle and how I'm addressing the the SIBO, like I've had a really microdose and then mm-hmm. build up slowly because they were having such a reaction to the die off. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so stepwise, I kind of take them through, you know, a bit of gut work after mm-hmm. the drainage, you know, working yeah. on parasite load yeah. and all of that because breast implants contribute to the toxic terrain in the body. And they also contribute to immune dysregulation mm-hmm. as a foreign mm-hmm. object. And we can't underestimate like how much that can really pave the way for pathogens like parasites to take hold. Yeah. And not just, you know, path- parasites don't always have to be pathogenic, but they can become pathogenic in the mm-hmm. right setting when the terrain right. is toxic, you know. And that's also kind of a protective mechanism for them to survive and to continue thriving in the body. Right. So clearing out the parasites, and I tell you, I'm, I'm not really looking for silicone, but the amount of mucoid plaque that I see pictures of my clients sharing with me of what's coming out of their colon is alarming. It wow. is so profound. And it's it's many, many months of seeing this. It's not like it's yeah. just one or two clearings of all of this mucoid plaque. And there's a lot of like gelatinous kind of stickiness to it as well. So there very well could be silicone mixed in there. Mm. Right. Mm. But my clients generally, even if they've done other parasite protocols, mm-hmm. they come to me and yeah. we do it my way or the way that I've learned. Mm-hmm. And it's so much more effective. Right? Yeah, they are seeing boatloads of parasites come out that to a yeah. point where they're like, how is it possible that I could have this many parasites in my body? Yeah. And it's true. And then we get into more systemic parasite mm-hmm. work, systemic pathogen work, and then detox is next. So mm-hmm. we're really working on clearing the load of pathogens in the body before we go and, and start detoxing because all of those pathogens also create their own toxins, right? They create endotoxins Mm -hmm. and your body has to cope with that too. And so I have just found, I used to do it differently. I do it this way now and people tolerate the work so much better. They have a much better experience when we do get to the detox part of things and they're able to kind of usually, not always, but most cases kind of breeze right through the detox work. I think they're still yeah, they're drainage, and but they're actually they are doing some detoxing, but it's that deeper core stuff that they do later on in like month three, four. Yeah, yeah, we're doing a little bits of that along the way in the first mm-hmm. few months, and then we really get aggressive about it. Yeah, yeah in the fourth great. phase of the work, and then really it's about after that kind of balancing the immune system, going after if there are any you know, stealth pathogens present like Lyme, mm-hmm. you know, Borrelia, Bartonella, Babesia, yeah. Yeah. Cytomegaly, right? Like whatever other stealth pathogens might be present, really kind of getting that under control and balancing the immune system again. And, and then that if can there's take still, time too. It can and take that takes, time. It can take about up to a year. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I know when I was going through my own Lyme, you know, Mm self-treatment, my husband, I think this is also a really important piece of information. My husband Mm -hmm. also treated alongside me because, Mm -hmm. you know, we know there is some evidence suggesting that these different pathogens can be sexually transmitted Mm. from one partner to another. And so rather than going through all of this for just to be re-exposed potentially, because we've all been exposed to these bugs, it's just a matter of is our immune system handling it or not? Right. Yep. So he treated alongside me, even though we didn't have a test for him. And mm-hmm. then at the around the six month part or point, we both tested. I tested negative. He tested equivocal. So he did two more months of treatment before we wrapped it up. So, you know, I think that is really important to realize that there's more than one place you can be exposed to certain things, re-exposed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you're going down this healing journey, trying to tackle all of these big root causes, you have to think outside the box. Absolutely. That's why allopathic medicine will never get to the root causes. And that's why it's really nice to find more and more doctors that are really opening themselves up to looking at the possibility that there's a reason why someone has something as opposed to just giving them a a medication for it. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's see, what, what else would you like to share? Well, you know, I think one other thing that I really learned from this, like a gift, so to speak, that I learned from this whole journey is that really how I should be living, you know, and before I was living more of a conventional West, you know, had a Western diet, conventional lifestyle, you know, didn't really, I wasn't mindful about anything I was doing or eating or putting on or in my body, none of that. Mm -hmm. And who knows where I would be, you know, down the line if I hadn't really done a deep dive into addressing all those things. It, it really taught me how I should be living, mm-hmm. you know, to to not only heal my body, but maintain it for life. And I think that right. all the tools I've learned along the way are invaluable to have in the tool belt. Absolutely. I mean, our apothecary resides in the kitchen and, mm-hmm. you know, lifestyle is huge. Your stress can completely trash your microbiome and compromise your immune system mm-hmm. and finding balance is is i mean i have a little little stone on my desk that i've written balance i always take a nice. look at this yeah and sleep yes getting off that emf frequency you and yes. i could probably do a whole show on that but keeping our phones out of the bedroom mm-hmm. you know yes. unplugging the wi-fi at night just creating you know, a sanctuary so that we can sleep more peacefully. Mm -hmm. But really, truly being mindful of what is it that my body needs as opposed to what is it that I want and paying attention. You know, it's interesting how intuitively, like our gut tells us something is wrong. What happened to me last year, when was it? I had gotten COVID in Christmas day of 21. I was at my sister's. And uh, or Christmas Eve, and I flew in, and I was just really tired, and it didn't register that that I had COVID. And anyway, after I you know came back and I was recovering, I, I just felt like something was off, and I kept waking up at night. And for about a year or so, I was having these dreams that I couldn't breathe. Well, I discovered I had sleep apnea. Mm. D- don't snore. I just stopped breathing. Yeah, and it took. Something kept like once I got that, once I had COVID, something just made me, I literally woke up and went, oh my God, 
I've had sleep apnea for years because I would, would wake up startled. So long mm. and short of it, I wear a mouth appliance, not a CPAP, a mouth appliance. Yeah. And yeah. I was waking up, I don't know, 15 times an hour or mm. I stopped breathing, excuse me, 10 to 15 times an hour. So wow. now my sleep is so much better. And right. I think my immune system is just, I, I feel like everything is, is just has started to really balance itself out. But yeah. something was trying to tell me for a couple of years in my dreams, I had these dreams about not being able to breathe. Mm. And so anyway, it's interesting how all these little little pieces yeah. in listening to intuition, it's, it's huge. It tells us, I mean, if, yeah. you know, I say to people, and you've probably done this too, what is your gut feeling about what's going on with you? Particularly when you look at talk screens and you ask, where do you feel you might be exposed to something? Because sometimes you look at the levels and you're like, oh my God, it looks like they're living inside an inner tube. Of, <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, but I, I think it's important to trust our gut. I think yeah. it's, I feel it's very, very important to honor when our body wants to sleep that we don't fight it and we go to bed at a decent hour. Mm-hmm. And embrace cooking. And when we feel something is off within our bodies, finding the right practitioner that's going to listen to us and finding someone that does functional medicine that really Mm -hmm. looks for the root cause is imperative to the healing process. And I mean, that's what helped you heal. And that's what still continues. Yeah. I try not to treat myself. I have my other friends. Yes. Uh, Yes. My other colleagues, I'm like, I don't want to be diagnosing me because it's, it's, Mm-mm. I need somebody can be objective about what's Right. You what's can't see on. the picture you when you're you in can. the frame. No, yep, you can't. Absolutely. And, it, and it's also nice to have somebody else take care of you and yeah, say, here, absolutely. do this. And, yes. and, and it makes a, it makes a huge difference. My love, I want to thank you so much. I am so delighted that you and I got to meet on Zoom a few weeks yeah. ago. I hope that we will be in each other's lives and be able to share more with listeners and maybe share more with clients. And Mm -hmm. is is there anything you'd like to close with today? I would just like to leave people with some hope that even if you are someone who has explanted and you're not feeling better yet, that there is hope for you that, you know, finding the right practitioner like Meg or myself to work with is so imperative. Um, And to just get you on the right path to healing and lay out a plan for you of how you're going to get there and to, you know, help you every step of the way. And I think that can just take so much of the pressure and worry off of you. And, you know, the body is amazing. The body is such a miracle. Yes. You know, it is absolutely capable of healing if it's given the right things and if if the right things are removed they're yes. impacting healing. Absolutely. The body's designed to thrive. Mm-hmm. So what I will do, my lovely s- listeners, I will include Sarah's contact information so you can reach out to her if you or a friend or a family member is struggling with breast implant illness or has breast implants and is feeling that this may be something to seriously consider to have them explanted. Is that the correct term to have explant? Explant. Yep. Yes to have them uh, have an explant done. And Sarah, I want to thank you again for being here. And I want to thank everyone for listening today. Please share this with family members, co-workers, and your friends. This is important information for women to have. Our mm-hmm. bodies are sacred. Let us treat it as such. 
And there is so much that we can do. There's really good people out there that can help you along your healing path. So until we meet again, everyone, I want to extend a lot of love, a lot of grace, a lot of big hugs. And I want to welcome all of you and thank you for joining us today on the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. Have an amazing day. And until we meet again, take care.